I'm known for spoilers, so I'm not going to do any, okay? <laughs> so I talk about this. But I, uh, you would enjoy that movie. So after realizing that the world no longer remembers the Beatles, and Jack does, he begins to perform their songs. And he just tries to remember as many of them as he possibly can, and then he's passing them off as his own. Uh, he records a demo, he's signed to a record label, he rises to fame on the brilliance of the Beatles' music, but gradually, his conscience bothers him. He's taking credit for songs he didn't write, and he knows it's not authentic, but he feels trapped by his growing fame. Jack struggles with authenticity, and so must we. The gifts we enjoy, we do not own. They are Christ. We possess them through possessing him. Christ is our Sabbath rest. It's in him that we have redemption and freedom and forgiveness. But we are not a repository of Christ's riches. We're a pass-through account. We share them as we enjoy them. And these are signs of the kingdom of God, and when we share them, we become a sign of his kingdom. A jubilee life experiences the rich riches found in Christ and shares them with others. All right, so let's do some foundational work on Jubilee from the Old Testament, as this is underneath much of, much of what we'll be sharing over the next six weeks. And so Jubilee, it's an ancient piece of Hebrew social legislation. Serving as slaves for 400 years in Egypt, the Jews lacked a law code. They didn't have a societal structure when God released them into that wilderness. And much of the first five books of the Bible, called the Pentateuch, the first five books, was devoted to providing both a societal structure and a law code. Uh, so the Hebrew Jubilee, it means literally the blowing of a mountain ram's horn, right? So it's, it's announcing a great celebration. Jubilee featured rest for the land and the people, restitution of property, and the regular forgiveness of debts. And every seven years, God commanded the Hebrews to allow themselves and their land to rest and be renewed. In Leviticus 25, three and four, it says, for six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath of rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. God would provide a bounty in the sixth year that would take them all the way through the seventh year. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Every six years, you get a year off. You get a sabbatical year. That sounds pretty good to me right now, actually. Right? So every seven years... Um, they are to give the land a rest, and every seven years, debts were to be forgiven. Deuteronomy 15.1, it says, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. And then Moses went on to say this, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. So there will be enough for everyone. And because his, Israel had an agricultural economy, and because charging interest on loans to other Israelites uh, was prohibited, it's considered usury, most debts were charitable loans to the needy, rather than co the conventional kinds of commercial loans that we're more familiar with today. And in addition to resting the land and erasing debts during the sabbatical year, the Israelites were commanded to release slaves, uh, giving them, these folks, a new start. Deuteronomy 15, 12. If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year, you must let him go free, and when you release him, don't send him away empty-handed. In other words, <clears throat> fill his pockets. Help her get on to the next phase of, of her life. And so the year after the seventh 
seven-year period. Now we're to the 50th year, the year of Jubilee. This was a year when the land was returned to the original clans. And so the 12 tribes that originally took the land, so the land was, was to go back to those original tribes. Leviticus 25.8. It says, count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpets sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. Now this had a number of benefits. Jubilee prevented the accumulation of land on the part of a few to the detriment of the community as a whole. It rendered it impossible for anyone to be born into absolute poverty since every family had hereditary land. It did away with the enslavement of Israelites. Uh, it provided a fresh opportunity for those whose fortunes had soured. And it preserved God's governance of his people. So they were a theocracy. God was ruling them, leading them directly. And this was the means through which he sought to do it. It was a wild idea. It was a great idea. One people under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. But Israel did not have her jubilee. And one of Israel's greatest failures in living out their calling as a people of God was in their consistent unwillingness to celebrate it. Out of greed and disinterest to God's leadership, they planted during Sabbath years, enriching themselves with the abundance of the sixth. Uh, when the year of Jubilee came along, they ignored it, refusing to release slaves or return purchased land to family estates. The land produced less due to overuse. Captives remained captive. The rich got richer, the poor got poorer, all of which weakened the social fabric of the nation. And as the people drifted, God appointed prophets to warn them. If they didn't rest the land, they would be forced to leave it. If they didn't release the captives, they would become captives, subjects not of God or a Jewish king, but of a world power. And after seven cycles of seven years, 490 years of not fulfilling Jubilee, this prophecy was fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian hordes invaded the northern kingdom, then a few years later went down into the southern kingdom. Seventy years of captivity was the judgment for seventy sevens of disobedience. So seventy years for those seventy years. The land got her rest, but the people didn't. Subjugated by Babylonian and then Medo-Persian empires, what was left of the nation experienced seven years of slavery for 77s of not releasing slaves. Cyrus's decree, king of Persia, allowed Ezra and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah to go back to the land. Ezra went back as a priest to establish the religious life of the nation and to help rebuild the temple. Uh, Zerubbabel was a, political, was a military leader and then Nehemiah a political leader. And he went back and saw to the restructuring, the, the um, repairing of the walls of Jerusalem. And that's the book of Nehemiah talks about that. And so they went back and in the land, there was still a remnant of Jews there that didn't go into captivity. They were older or, or infirm or not valuable to the Babylonians. And so they were joined by a few expatriates who came back after seven years, but most of the Jews didn't. They'd established themselves uh, financially, they'd established themselves in Babylon, and they chose to stay. 
And so that began a period of time that we now call the silent period, really about 400 years before Christ arrived. Um, this is a silent period. Um, but from history, we do know something about what the Jews were doing during this time. Uh, there were occasional uprisings that were mounted by Jewish heroes, such as Judas Maccabeus. Um, there was this apocalyptic form of literature that rose up, um, something like comic book literature. It's like sci-fi literature today. Uh, you know, superheroes who will rise up and take on the cause of the Jews. And these provided an escape for the Jews, imagining this victory over their oppressors. But more than any other, the dominant theme in the Jewish imagination during this time was the cherished hope of a Messiah, that a Messiah would come and that Messiah was on the way. And so each Sabbath in the synagogues that sprang up uh, throughout uh, the Mediterranean world as meeting places for small decentralized uh, congregations that preserved the law, the Torah, and the worship of God, the reading of the prophets in every synagogue service renewed this hope. It renewed this hope. And then finally, Jesus came to restore Jubilee. When Jesus entered his home synagogue in Nazareth, the people gathered, did not know what to expect from him. Uh, he had impressed the temple priests with his questions and his insights. He had a clear understanding and deep love for the Torah, but family responsibilities kept him out of any formal training. Jesus never left home to follow a rabbi like Gamaliel, who Paul studied with, or Hillel, or Shabbai. He was a self-made rabbi with an unorthodox approach to the spiritual life. And as Jesus made his way past the benches surrounding the empty space in the middle of the room, this is the way that a synagogue service was constructed, um, and in the middle there would be the readings and the teachings, despite the fact that everyone knew Jesus personally, and probably many of them had tables or chairs or some, you know, some furniture in their house that Jesus himself, the carpenter, Jesus the carpenter built, they did not really know him. And after the prayers and the songs, the presiding elder handed him the scroll, and it was familiar enough. It was a reading from the scroll of Isaiah. It was a passage that we refer to today as Isaiah 61, but Jesus added a shocking lyric at the end. Let's look at his sermon here in Luke 4:16 and following. And so it says that he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, "The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and every eye in the place is on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, the people would have recognized Isaiah's promises of cures and liberation and justice. And their hope of shucking the Roman yoke was in a Messiah who would come, the superhero of sorts in their mind, who would come and do these things. But Jesus didn't finish with, but, but Jesus did finish with, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they must have blinked and thought twice, is that really what we heard? How was this fulfilled in our hearing? Are you, are, are you claiming to be the Messiah? 
So let's see some proof. We heard you did some healings in Capernaum. How about a few right here? But then the mood changed very quickly. <laughs> um, and Jesus said this to them. He said, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And then he gave two examples, one from Elijah's ministry and one from Elisha's ministry in the Old Testament that talked about outsiders, Gentiles, a widow from Zarephath, and, the, and Naaman the, the Syrian. The widow of Zarephath was blessed with provision and Naaman the Syrian with healing. Well, this did not square with the nationalistic interests of the Jews. And so they were so incensed, they chased Jesus out of the synagogue, they chased him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off. And then, we're not exactly sure how he did it, but he is God, he just walked through the crowd. That's what it says in, in Luke. He just sort of like walked through them and there was nothing that they could do. And so the, the Jews gathered that day, they reflect the general confusion around Jesus's kingdom. Jesus didn't arrive to end Rome's subjugation. He didn't come to make the, the Jews the rulers of the world. Jesus arrived to release his people to new life, to new life. The usual reading of Jesus's inaugural sermon, it spiritualizes its meaning. We often assume Jesus proclaimed spiritual riches for the poor, released to the captives of sin, uh, gave sight to the spiritually blind, and offered liberty to those oppressed by spiritual bondage. And all of that is true. And that is a core understanding of this text. But for God's kingdom to transform the world, they needed to be transformed. And so this is what Jesus is seeking to bring, his life to transform them. But by rooting it in the historical jubilee, he also involves practical social realities. And so in this series, we will explore the personal experience of jubilee in order to live it out and to extend it to others. More than a social contract, jubilee is the indwelling spirit that is poured out in our lives through our actions uh, to the recipients of jubilee. And Jesus lined some out in the text from Isaiah. First of all, the poor. To proclaim good news to the poor. The word Jesus used for poor comes from a word that means to cringe or shrink back or to cower. It has the idea of a person that is off into the shadows begging. It's not the general term for poor, which means possessing very little. It's the word for poor that means possessing absolutely nothing. It's the word that was used for the person who was absolutely destitute and had been reduced to begging in the streets to survive. And this is the true spiritual picture of a person before coming to faith in Christ. We are bankrupt. We don't have anything to offer for what Christ will give. We have nothing that commends us to God. We, we, need, we need grace. And so when we accept our true condition, we go to God as a beggar, and God gives us the grace that we need. Um, and the good news is that the Lord Jesus always welcomes us, and then he invites us to something. He invites us to serve. He invites us to take those things that he invests in us and to pass it through to others. And in the coming weeks, we're going to hear about some folks in local ministries uh, that will welcome our service as a sign of the kingdom where the poor are filled. And so a sign of, of caring for the poor of just being involved in relieving the misery and the suffering that is there is a sign of what the kingdom of God will be like. And when we serve in those ways, we become a sign of God's kingdom. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the prisoners are the next ones. The second picture, um, either of an enemy taken prisoner in war or a criminal that's arrested and put behind 
bars. And so this person is bound. He is bound. She's lost her freedom. In John 8, 34, Jesus said this, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so there is a captivity to sin before being released by Jesus Christ. But Romans 6 has the good news. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And so there is a, there is a spiritual bondage that is there before a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then in Matthew 25, and it's, a, it's the sheep and the goats passage, if you've read through that, Jesus describes the character of the kingdom, the character of the kingdom. Matthew 25, 34 and following, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, those are the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. What is the character of those who receive this? He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. In other words, Jesus says those who consider others as their neighbor and as the object of this love that they've received from the Lord Jesus Christ, he says that's the character of the kingdom. Welcome. And we're going to hear from folks within our church community who are being invo getting involved in correctional ministries, and there's a growing number of them. And these are signs of the freedom in Christ, the reconciliation uh, that is reflected in the kingdom of God. And so when we serve in these ways, it's not just to relieve the suffering of, of individuals who are incarcerated. It's also as a sign of the kingdom of God, and we serve as signs of that kingdom. He talks about the blind, recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus healed physically blind people, but his emphasis was on spiritual blindness. In Matthew 4, 16, it puts it this way. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so the picture here is coming to Christ is like going from the inky darkness of like a cavern. If you've been to Carlsbad Caverns or, or, or you know, a deep cavern. I mean, you put your hand in front of your face, you can't see it. Inky blackness. Now they're standing in the full light of the midday sun. The visually impaired that he references are just one vulnerable group uh, on whom Christ's light shines. Jesus healed some blind people. Uh, he didn't heal all of them, but these were signs of his light. Um, and, you know, this, I think that for us, in terms of understanding this, it's, it's important for us to think through being mindful to vulnerable people, not only out in our communities, but people that are right here in, in our midst, right here in, our, right here in the room today, uh, struggling with emotional health, struggling with um, maybe their immigrant status, struggling with chronic illnesses, struggling with a history of abuse that they're still trying to deal with. There are vulnerable people right here in our midst. And so it's our neighbor that we're called to love and they're right here. And when we care for each other through providing meals for each other, or just giving time or just being present or just being interested, we become signs of the kingdom of God for people who are marginalized by things in life. And then the oppressed, he, he set the oppressed free. The word oppressed refers to someone who is downtrodden and just crushed by life. 
And a picture is releasing a person that is just overwhelmed by life, who's afflicted and troubled and now lifted up. And Jesus referred to this person when he said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus comes to offer. And we become signs of the kingdom when we lift people up, when we lift people up with encouragement or, or financial support if that's called for or just helping them with some life skills so that they can, so they can stand in their place and they can live their life and live their life in a way that is, that is, that is free. They're released. We are Jesus' hands and feet. He calls us to this. And so Jesus, the first missionary who traveled from heaven to earth to save us all, he invites us to be his mission Aries. Formed by Christ's life means being formed by his missionary heart and will. So if we're going to say that we are Christians, which means literally little Christ, um, if, if, we are, if we are Christians, then we are forming our life in Christ's life. We're looking for what was important to him. We're trying to understand how he functions so that we know the right way to live our lives. And how, you know, so the question for us is how may we share this life that we have? So we have a Sabbath rest in the Lord Jesus. We've been redeemed by him. We've been released from our sin. We've been restored. All of that's rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we share that in our church community? How do we share that in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and with the least of these? So may we understand and embrace our responsibility as God's missionary and envision our mission field. So that is an introduction to Jubilee Life. Jubilee Life is receiving these riches, these benefits, these, the life, the very life that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, and not just saying, I got mine, <laughs> good. I don't have to worry about those things, but instead experiencing, sensing the responsibility we have and the joy that we have to pass those through to others. So we're going to take communion now. And whenever we come to the table, we're reminded again of Jesus's journey to earth, to what he did in order that we might have life in him. And Jesus came so that we would live lives that are marked by jubilee. Um, God tried it with the Jews, <laughs> and we saw how that turned out in the Old Testament. Um, but now in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of jubilee, we have another opportunity to live out this jubilee life. And so with whom will you share the riches that are found in Jesus Christ? I invite you as you take the elements today to reflect on those riches and to allow the Holy Spirit to just to lead you in whatever direction he chooses. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so we're just grateful. In fact, there's no level of gratitude or thankfulness that's really adequate for what you have done on our behalf. Father, when we consider the Lord Jesus, we should just be humbled again over and over. Lord, it just brings us right back to that place where, Lord, we were, we're we're, we're spiritually poor and we're blind, we're captive, and we're oppressed by life without you, a life without the Lord Jesus. But Father, Jesus came and offered himself so that we could live out this life. Lord, may we have open hands and open hearts, God. May we care about other folks, even 
even in the midst of this crazy area we live in and the busyness of it and and Lord we j- so often we just feel like we just you know, we just can't think about another thing or add another thing or deal with another person but yet father your your spirit fills us and empowers us and so father may your spirit fill us and empower and empower us again we pray all this in Christ's name amen